Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. This is Adam Childers, your host of the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm here in the Crow's Nest in downtown Oklahoma City on a beautiful spring day, and I'm excited to uh, be taping another podcast and be joined by one of the members of my very own group, the Labor and Employment Group here at Crow and Dunleavy, and I'm going to have a special guest, Senior Associate Evan Way, and Evan's going to be talking to us today about some recent developments as it relates to military leave law and some uh, really important legislative changes that have taken place. But before we jump into all that, let's uh, give Evan a chance to say hello to everybody out there. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. You bet. I'm excited about it. Evan is one of our most important members of our labor and employment group, as I mentioned before, our senior associate. And I'm lucky to call him not only my colleague, but also my friend. So today's going to be a a great window of insight into military leave law. And before we jump into those recent changes, I want to give you just a little bit of background on Evan, and I think it'll uh, help you understand exactly why Evan has a unique perspective when it comes to the intersection of the law and military issues. Prior to coming to Crow and Dunleavy, Evan Way was with the U.S. Department of Defense for 10 years, and he has 18 years of military service in total, having been with the United States Air Force. He is currently a major and an aide-de-camp to the Adjutant General with the Joint Force Headquarters located in Oklahoma. All of that means that he is well-versed when it comes to the P's and Q's of military and the various laws that circumscribe it, but it also means that he keeps up with all the new developments as it relates to military leave law and certainly does that in his capacity as an associate within the Labor and Employment Group. So, Evan, it's uh, it's a fascinating area of the law and one that, honestly, we were talking about this before, everyone sort of intuitively wants to do right by our troops and by those who serve the country in uniform. But that doesn't mean that they always get it right, because a lot of us just don't know the various nuances of the laws that are out there. Do you think that's fair? Oh, definitely. I mean, you're talking, USARE is applicable to about 1% of your U.S. workforce, because that is the approximate number you have in service right now. So a small subset that this applies to compared to other laws, but a subset that employers, you know, overwhelmingly support. And an important one. And and you just mentioned the key acronym that will be guiding our discussion today, and that is USERA. Tell us what USERA stands for. USERA, the question of the day, it is your Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act. Now, that's a mouthful. I can see why we, uh, we call it USERA for short. You mentioned within that description of the acronym, Uniform Services. So this is a federal law, correct? Correct. Yes. All right. And when it says uniform services, what kind of coverage are we talking about? So it, USARA applies to your uniform services, which is your Army, your Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, your Space Force, Coast Guard, but also your Public Health Corps and NOAA. And there's a distinction between your uniform services and your armed forces, 
which is typically what people think of with your Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and your Space Forces. Which means, yeah, exactly. You're talking about a wide swath of you know uniformed services that are are impacted. And I and I have to confess, I'm still not used to when you know hearing that catalog here, Space Force. But uh, but but it's fun to hear, right? Uh, it's new to me too, and I should make sure I uh, don't leave out my Coast Guard brethren there that they are also part of the Armed Forces as well. So absolutely, but that goes to the point that you, Sarah covers so many different branches of uniform services. And then talk about, you know, we're used to the Americans with Disabilities Act, Title VII, FMLA have benchmarks for the number of employees that you have to have before it really kicks in. Sometimes 15 employees, 20 employees, even 50 employees. How many does it take to be covered by USERA? Uh, USERA is arguably the most liberal employee-friendly law out in the books. So having one employee subjects you to USERA coverage. Just one employee will get you there. If that doesn't get the attention of, you know, employer base, I don't know what will, because as you mentioned, there is no other federal statute that I am aware of that could give you that kind of coverage. And so if you haven't had a military member in your workforce before, the moment happens, you are now a covered employer for purposes of USERA. So, Let's talk about what that means. Uh, so if you, Sarah, is uh, applicable to your workforce, what are the rights and responsibilities, kind of the general framework that we're looking at? Your requirements are, are very broad as an employer, but you need to make sure that if you have a service member and the uniformed services, that you're providing them qualified military leaves of absence when they need to go perform that duty. And when they, they come back and they request to be reemployed, that you're reinstating them. Um, depending on the length of their service obligation will determine when they have to give notice, when they have to reapply for that position, and then what kind of protections are in place for them. It's very fact-specific, but you know, broad 30,000-foot view. It means that an employer needs to grant those leaves of absences when requested, and they need to reinstate that employee when they come back. And built within that, there's this term called like the escalator principle, meaning that where that employee would have gone, that needs to continue to happen. So if that employee's rights and ben- or benefits were going to continue to increase during their time away, you need to put them back as if they were there. Right. And that's that's a principle that is easy to mess up on and without any malice in your heart, because you don't realize that unlike a lot of other federal statutes that allow for leave of absence where, you know, whatever happens while they're gone, you know, doesn't impact, you know, their, their status. It's exactly the opposite under USERA. And we were talking earlier, this has become a, a big issue, right? Because we've got some current uh, litigation and, and cases coming out of the Seventh Circuit that are really pinpointing how big a deal that could be. Yes. So in the Seventh Circuit, it was a matter of first impression for the Court of Appeals if this rights and benefits provision of USERA covered paid military leave because that they offered other comparable forms of military leave from the employer, which was an air carrier. And this is a class action suit brought by a number of pilots saying that they should have received paid leave while they were gone. And they should have also been able to engage in the profit sharing plan while they were gone because this particular employer offered paid jury leave and paid uh, medical leave. And so the court, you know, remanded it back to the district court to perform this comparability analysis, which more likely than not, the comparability analysis is going to be the next great frontier of litigation. You know, are you as an employer doing this comparability analysis between leave types correctly using the Department of Labor's, you know, three factors to determine it? 
Yeah, and that's that's a huge outcome for employers because you're talking about uh, unpaid leave under USERA that could be converted into a required paid leave if there are other benefits that uh, you know stack up that should have been paid. At least if that argument is is bought off on by the court. And you said that's an open question in the seventh. Are there other circuits that are likewise debating this? So the seventh circuit has ruled on it, denied an en banc hearing. So if the employer wants to appeal it, it's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Third Circuit is interpreting the same provision of the statutes under nearly the same facts, and they haven't reached a decision yet. So if you have those two circuits, which are likely to, the third is likely to fall with the seven, you're going to have to really revamp your policies and procedures. Because to be clear, USERA does not require you to provide paid leave. The problem is, is if you provide leave for other comparable forms of leave, you may have a USERA violation. And if you have a large number of employees that are members of the military, you may be facing what some of these airlines are through a class action lawsuit. Yeah, which could be a a huge deal. Um, There's got to be then some remedies that are available to those who make claims under USERA. Broadly speaking, what, what are those remedies? Oh, broadly, you have the right to return to your job, back pay, any lost benefits, You can request that they correct your personnel file. Any promotion opportunity that you missed out on because of a USARA violation, you can ask to be considered for that promotion or reinstated to that promoted position, Uh, retroactive seniority, any type of pension or vacation adjustment that needs to be in there. And if the employer acted willfully, you can get liquidated damages in twice the amount of your back pay. Okay, so uh, there there are some remedies, but there you know there are some practitioners out there that question whether you know that is the full toolkit that should be available to sort of induce claims you know where there are valid uh, claims to be made. So that sort of segues us, I suppose, to some big developments at the state level, and that is the enactment of what is called. The Oklahoma Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, which means our acronym has grown even larger. Uh, you know, Evan and I are uh, loyal Sooner fans, and so we uh, we, we we Sooner we uh, we decided perhaps that uh, we could shorten that up to the OU Sarah Act. We'll see if it takes off. Our cowboy fans out there might. Uh, uh, might disagree with us, but when it comes to OU, Sarah, this is a brand new development. I understand it. When when was uh, the Oklahoma equivalent of USERA signed into law, Evan? Governor Stitt signed in OU, Sarah into law on April 21st of this year, and it has an emergency clause in it, meaning that it took effect immediately upon his signature. So that means, yeah, obviously, when you use the emergency clause, there was a, a, a belief that this legislation was needed sooner rather than later. It would have otherwise gone into a, a operative effect later in the fall of this year. So tell us, what is the uh, OU Sarah meant to address? What changes are being made? OU Sarah completely revamps what was previous law in Oklahoma with regard to service members um, or unif- members of the uniformed services. And at its heart, it really just mirrors the federal law and in many ways, but it clarifies a lot of the public employees and how their um, rights and benefits were afforded under USERA and what type of protections that were there. So it cleans up a lot of the language and ambigu- ambiguities that were there before. It also allows enhanced remedies if you're an employee and you bring an OU Sarah claim. And that seems to be the key is that, as you mentioned, that it is 
adding on to those remedies that would otherwise be available. Before we talk about what those remedies are, though, who will this be applicable to? So that's the unique thing about OUSERA. It's only going to apply to members of the Oklahoma National Guard, both Army and Air. It will be inapplicable to members of the National Guard outside of Oklahoma or to reservists or other members of the uniformed services in Oklahoma. Okay, so fairly limited. Give me a ballpark. How many how many folks would fall into that camp? Oh, roughly about 8,000. Okay. So, but 8,000 uh, Oklahoma citizens who are employees of companies that may not know that these kinds of changes have been made. And and tell me, is there, what happens if it's a, a foreign company that is doing business uh, in Oklahoma? How is that handled? If that member is a member of the Oklahoma National Guard and they're a foreign and they work for them and they, they're domiciled here, they could still bring a claim against their employer for an OUSERA violation. Very good. So let's then talk about what those enhanced remedies look like. Sure. So similar to USERA, you're going to be able to order compliance with the statute, award of lost wages and benefits, liquidated damages in the amount of your lost wages and benefits. And this is where the wrinkle comes in is you can also get actual and compensatory damages and punitive damages. And just like uh, USERA, OUSERA provides for a reasonable attorney's fees, litigation cost, and other fees associated with litigation if you're a prevailing party. So the words that, you know, can can cause some consternation for employers in any uh, statutory scheme or punitive damages. Obviously, that can add up quickly. And, and I can't think of many cases where a plaintiff might not come in with a little bit of uh, sympathy factor and just right out of the gate. So that's obviously a big one. But also the, the compensatory damages. Talk to me about that component. Sure. Um, actual and compensatory damages are going to be difficult to calculate and you're going to be on a fact-by-fact basis. But if you have an employee that had to, for example, get a headhunter to find them a new job, or if they had to relocate from the panhandle of Oklahoma because their employer didn't comply with OUSERA, you can get into an argument that they are entitled to those actual damages of the moving cost of hiring this headhunter, of any type of counseling they had to do to be rehabilitated for this job. And that could be quite significant for an employer. Which could also leach into emotional distress damages, um, counseling for psychiatric trauma caused by decisions that were in violation of OUSERA. So really, what we're talking about is USERA on a little bit of steroids, at least as it relates to a small group, but a very important group of Oklahoma citizens and employees. Yes, it does. And just like... USERA, which at first, you know, gives the right that you can reach out to the attorney general for help. OUSERA is going to allow you to go to the Oklahoma Department of Labor Commissioner and seek assistance there, and they can make a determination, and it can be referred to the local district attorney where that employer is operating uh, for compliance there, or the member also has the option to reach out to a private attorney. So this, of course, begs the question, what should our employers in the Oklahoma business community be doing to get ready for these changes in general and really specifically as it relates to this new law? In general, there are requirements in OUSERA that you have a poster in your workplace with all your other posters if you're um, affected by this act, meaning that you have employees that are members of the Oklahoma National Guard and you should also have your USERA poster there as well. That's kind of the, the compliance with the act as it requires, but as a practical matter, 
you really want to get in there and check and make sure you have a military leave policy, especially with the Seventh Circuit's ruling, obviously not binding on us in the Tenth Circuit. But if that's how these circuits start to adopt the rights and benefits provision, you probably want to lean forward and make sure that you're doing everything you can to have that comparability analysis done, to have a very robust uh, military leave policy so that if it arises, you're addressing it. And there are going to to be some nuances in there, you know, depending what type of status your employee is in, if they fall underneath OUSERA or if they fall under USERA or if they, you know, possibly fall under both of them. Yeah, that's enough acronyms in one place that I'd want uh, the assistance of an employment council in-house or uh, external to, to to help out with that, to be sure. Well, that's a fascinating look into really military leave law in general, the federal law that sort of set it all into motion. And now these recent changes at the state level that our listeners should be aware of. So I appreciate that insight, Evan. Before we go, I do want to Take a moment to enjoy that segment of the show that we have labeled Get to Know That Crow. Now, Evan uh, is not only uh, my colleague, but uh, my friend, and I know him to be a, a private person by nature, but I've been prying away at him all morning to, to give me a little tidbit to peer behind the curtain and see what makes him tick. And I just have learned one of the more fascinating pieces of information about you, Evan, So tell me, Evan, is this true that you are an avid West Coast swing dancer? Yes, that is uh, my little known fact in my three YouTube videos. If you search hard enough, you could find. (laughs) Now, it's more than just uh, fodder for YouTube, though. I take it that this is also where you met your better half? It is. Um, About 12 years ago, I started taking lessons for the first time, and she was one of the instructors there. And I really wanted to meet her. But when I went up to her to introduce myself and talk to her, she admonished me for interrupting the lesson and holding my hands wrong. And I was (laughs) so embarrassed that it took me another three months before I ever approached her again. And what did you do with those three months? Did you you get prepared? Oh, I, uh, like any lovesick dog out there, I was running drills at home and watching videos and taking private lessons so that... When I finally approached her again, she's like, you've gotten somewhat better. And I was like, I've gotten somewhat better. I've been practicing every night for four hours. Yes, I've gotten somewhat better. <laughs> True love was born out of you've gotten somewhat better. Uh, no, that's a, that's an adorable story, Evan, and one that I don't think I would have learned, but for our experience together on uh, on Briefly Legal. And thank you for sharing a little bit of yourself with all of our listeners. And thank you, uh, obviously, for helping educate uh, all of us on the evolving world of military leave law. Well, uh, we really appreciate your time. And remember, listeners, you can always contact us if you have questions about this episode or future episodes that we can help answer. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, just shoot us an email at legal at crowdunlevy.com. All of our social media links are included in the show notes. So don't forget to follow us there as well. So, folks, that's a wrap on this beautiful spring day. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you stay safe and healthy. This is your host, Adam Childers, and we look forward to meeting you here next time on Briefly Legal.